the pet industry is always a good industry to look at for a much bigger return on your money than you can get at the bank putting it in a CD. And so there's plenty of uh, opportunities out there to look for those kinds of things. That was Phil Cooper speaking about one of the myriad opportunities he believes the pet industry offers to anyone from job and career seekers to investors and entrepreneurs. The pet industry is our focus on this episode, episode number 64 of Looking Forward. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hi, everyone. In this episode, episode number 64 of Looking Forward, we're going to continue speaking about something millions of people around the world are proud to have as part of their family, their pets. In part two of this two-part series, we'll cover such things as where the pet industry may be headed in the future and some specific opportunities that might offer to those in the know, such as you, our Looking Forward listeners. To help us do this, we'll continue our conversation with an outstanding pet industry expert, Phil Cooper. With more than 55 years' experience working at all levels of the pet industry, Phil Cooper has done it all. He's been a retailer and a multi-unit store operator. He had the very first pet superstore in the United States. He's been part owner of an 80-year-old pet distribution company in Australia, and he was also the highest volume pet product rep in the United States for many years. Phil has done everything from importing containers to opening United States offices for overseas firms. He has traveled the world buying and selling pet products, and he has specialized in building small pet product companies into large firms. Currently, Phil owns and operates PetIndustryExpert.com, which offers a variety of business services to pet companies, both large and small. His business is very active in licensing new pet items, launching new pet companies, consulting to major consulting firms, selling to national accounts, rescuing pet firms, and rebuilding old brands. Phil, as you continue to look into the future of the pet industry, what are your thoughts about any changes we might see in pet foods? So we've seen a lot of changes in, in the demand for different types of pet foods. And I mentioned earlier that there's plenty of choices for uh, different choices for different types of proteins. Originally, it was all corn-based, which was like cereal. Then it came into beef, and then it came into chicken, and then it came into fish. And now we're, we're seeing the percentages of those proteins increase. And interestingly enough, we're seeing more unique proteins being considered. Bugs, you know, insect-based foods, all represent about 2% of the sales in pet food uh, internationally, but it's a, a segment that's growing. I don't ever expect it to be 40%, uh, but it may raise to 10% because it's a great source of protein. And if you can get over the fact that you're feeding a cricket-based food to your dog and your dog loves it, you really will find out that you don't care. Uh, we're seeing now 
a lot of people, myself included, are making diets for our pets as opposed to buying them. We buy extra chicken and we buy extra beef and we buy extra pork and we cook it and we uh, chop it up and we uh, my, my have a new little pug and she loves vegetables of all kinds because we've taught her that from when we first brought her home. And so we're mixing all that in, adding supplements and vitamins. And uh, my pets are in pretty good shape with not having any problems having to go to the veterinarian. And so I've been very pleased with that. And there's plenty of great premium foods out there uh, on the market. And what people do for advice, they ask their friends, they ask their vets, they ask uh, dog breeders and other dog owners what they feed. And because if you walk into a retail pet store and there's 50 different types of pet food, which one do you choose? Yeah. And if you can't get information in the aisle, which, what, how do you buy? Do you base it on the color of the package? Not really the best place, but you got to base it on the ingredients. And people are becoming, the millennials especially, uh, they can look at ingredients, they can Google it, they can uh, find out all the information they're looking for, and they can make good, solid choices. Okay. Phil, I want to come back to couple of things you've been saying here. I'm very intrigued by the crickets, by the way. If you live in the United States or outside the United States, where are you going to get these crickets? It's a very good question. And, you know, one of the things I love about capitalism and one of the things I love about American ingenuity, when there's a demand, we find ways. And there's actually cricket farms in the United States <laughs> that produce crickets and, and they're easily produced in large numbers. And just like mealworms are easily produced in large numbers, and there's all kinds of uh, factories that are they're providing. I mean, we, we have ostrich food and venison food and buffalo food and, and all kinds of different proteins considered now in diets, poultry, uh, whether it's duck or some of the uh, poultry protein sources are very rich in amino acids and great uh, for good health. And so based on your own personal needs or your own personal beliefs, you can choose protein sources today from almost anywhere to feed your pet. Wow, that's interesting. The other thing I want to come back to is industry consolidation. You spoke about the big box chains that we all know in the pet industry. And I'm curious about, as you talked about, sort of a back to the future here, where we're going to have a return to the smaller shops, which is not the direction a lot of things are going in. I'm curious about your thoughts about consolidation in the industry. And I'm also curious about, I'm not sure if you'll know the answer to this, maybe you will, because you've traveled around the world do these big box stores exist all over the world or most parts of the world? Or is, if you went to Europe or some other continent, would you see more of the local stores and not the big box? So a couple of questions there related to the big boxes and consolidation. Well, it's interesting. When I went to Australia, we had 12,000 brick and mortar stores in the United States and PetSmart and Petco were really just beginning to develop. At the time, they had about 300 stores each. Uh, when I came back five years later, there were 14,000 brick and mortar stores wow. in the U.S. And so they've grown, but they've changed quite a bit. Instead of big mammoth full-line pet stores, we had you know, boutiques open up and they specialized in food or they specialized in impulse items and things that 
you couldn't find in a lot of the other stores. And so, again, we find a way that the industry grows dramatically. And regarding space and big box stores, those decisions are based on the local cost of, of real estate. Real estate in Australia, very expensive. So there are big box stores, but their big box stores are 12,000 square feet instead of 40,000 square feet. You go to Hong Kong uh, and you go into a local uh, pet store and it's 1,000 square feet and it's uh, narrow uh, because the space is very limited. Same is true in China. I was there last two years ago now and I visited some stores and I was surprised uh, about the size and how small they were. And after talking to the proprietors, you know, it was all based on cost. Germany, the UK, they've got big box stores that are 8,000, 10,000 square feet. But those stores are suffering the same uh, fate that the US stores are. Now, overhead's very high. So they're looking for ways to scale them back or to fill up the space with other uh, revenue uh, generating sources. And so, that trend is all over the world. When we first began in the pet industry in the United States, people had pet stores in their basements or they had pet stores in their garage. Mexico is a good example. South America, huge markets for pet growth, uh, but delivery is a problem. Distribution's a problem. They don't have UPS and FedEx to, to be able to go to every location overnight. They've got a lot of distance between places and it's the distribution uh, period and the time frame is is a lot different than what we're used to. Very interesting, Phil. Just to come back to it real quickly, would it be accurate to say, based on what you've said, as we look down the road a little bit, that we may see fewer of the bigger stores? Maybe even some of these chains are going to be bought out or they'll go out of business. Is that an accurate statement, based on what you said? Yeah, it's a very accurate statement. I expect uh, that consolidation that we'll see some of these uh, change shrink in size. And maybe the model is broken too far that we may see some of those changes disappear completely. Okay. The other reason, Phil, why looking forward is called looking forward is usually when you say I'm looking forward to something, it's not I'm looking forward to jumping off a cliff, right? Cliff divers would say that, but most of us, we're looking forward to something good. We see opportunities. That's what we're looking forward to. Now, I don't have to tell you, Phil, because you already spoke about it. A lot of people have lost their jobs due to COVID. We have a lot of young people in this country getting out of college, and they're looking to try to figure out what to do. We have people besides the people who lost their jobs in COVID or changing jobs, looking for new jobs, looking for new careers, maybe to find their passion, as you have done for 55 years. And then, of course, we always have the investors, the entrepreneurs looking for opportunities. If you could share with our audience some of the opportunities that you see coming out of the pet industry. Sure. Uh, let's take the investor piece first. Right now, this segment is more active than I've seen it in a number of years. Hmm. We've, we've seen big investors. I mean, I, I consult the large investment firms all the time on an hourly basis, and uh, they're looking for mega opportunities. And, and a good case in point, a number of years ago, I was contacted by some investment groups that were then considering uh, investing in Shoei, and they wanted to know whether that was a good investment. 
And of course I could provide uh, some expertise there. And so on a large scale, right now the penitentiary is on fire, wow. uh, looking for acquisitions of all sorts. However, right now, large and middle-sized firms are the preference. And those, when I say middle-sized, 20 million in revenue or higher, and large firms, $100 million in revenue or higher. Uh, there's a shortage of really good quality firms out there. So the activity is really aggressive looking for these kinds of firms. I've been dragging some of the investors to consider smaller investments from firms that are doing 5 million or 10 million that have a rock solid uh, reputation. And really you can consolidate three or four of those to make a very big company. So we've been giving advice to investors for those kinds of things. There's a lot of small investments, and, and I don't mean to diminish the word small. When I say small million-dollar companies out there that can't get traction with big investors because it's too small. But if you're looking for investment opportunities and you're a, a savvy investor, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not giving legal advice, right. but the pet industry is always a good industry to look at for a much bigger return on your money than you can get at the bank putting it in a, in a CD. And so the pet industry is ripe for those kinds of things. And there's plenty of uh, opportunities out there to look for those kinds of things. As far as people looking for jobs, I, I tell people, if you want to do what I do, start at retail, uh, learn everything you can learn about the business, about products, about animals, and you'll get a good education. Uh, you may not make a great deal of money, but you'll have a great education that you'll gain. And once you've got a year or two under your belt, uh, manufacturers today are looking for people that have experience, that are outgoing, uh, that can sell. And that's changed too. You don't have to travel as much anymore as you used to. You can be at home. You do it via Zoom. You do it via phone. You do it many different ways. So plenty of opportunities there. And even college students, you know, you can go to work for a, a pet store on minimum wage and minimum wages increased in many areas. That's good for those folks. But you can be a dog walker for a company called like wag.com and you can make $14.95 an hour just for walking dogs. And I don't mean to diminish that. That's an yeah. important part. But the millennials want their dogs walked and they're looking for reliable dog walkers with a good reputation. I'm very, very uh, passionate still to this day, uh, all these years later, about the pet industry. Plenty of opportunities, all different levels. 20% of the vets are in retailing nowadays that they know that they got people sitting in their lobbies uh, waiting for a uh, their appointment and they can see some things and maybe buy some things where vets historically always made money on their services and on vaccination. So plenty of opportunity out there. It's just like anything. You got to do your, your research. Now, where do you go? We have trade shows around the country every year. We have one next week, actually, in Las Vegas. That's a yearly show. We have one in Orlando every year. That's a yearly show. There's plenty of uh, regional retail kind of shows. There's plenty of uh, local uh, community fundraisers for dog walks and plenty of opportunity there. Franchises. There's a new franchise out of the South called Wolfgang Bakery. And Wolfgang Bakery is a great little franchise. We started just a few years ago with one or two stores. And his twist is he's a grooming shop that happens to sell pet supplies. He's not a pet store. He's a grooming shop that sells pet supplies. Well, today they've now surpassed 100 stores. 
you know, it's a, a smaller franchise that requires a smaller investment. And so uh, there's plenty of opportunities from small investment franchises to big investment franchises. And it depends what you yourself want to do and what your passion is. So I, I can't speak highly enough about the potential of the pet industry. And because people love their pets and money's no object today, especially with the millennials, uh, I think our future is very rosy. That's exciting, Phil. Just to make sure I heard that name, is it Wolfgang or Wolfgang? Woof, W-O-O-F, Gang Bakery. <laughs> I love it. Well, I heard a lot of opportunities for entrepreneurs out there, including the guy who started, it was a man who started Wolfgang? Yep. Yeah, including the guy who started Wolfgang. There's a lot of entrepreneurial opportunities. The only other quick follow-up there would be, and you kind of touched on this, the demand for vets, the demand for veterinary assistance, the demand for people who would work in the office. Big, growing Oh, growing at every level. Now, vets have had their own issues as they've consolidated. Some of the local vets have struggled. Uh, and because of the high cost of school, they get very big rates and loans that they have to pay back. And it takes them 20 years to pay back their student loans. So it depends on the type of practice. But there is plenty of opportunity. The demand for vet techs uh, off the chart always and all other categories, at every level I look at, I see nothing but opportunity. That's fantastic. We love opportunities at Looking Forward. Phil, before we get to telling our listeners how they can... Let me interrupt you real quick, because I one of the most important thing I wanted to tell you that I forgot to in this last uh, conversation was, I'm involved with a do-it-yourself dog wash company. We started eight years ago, and this is a machine that traditionally we sold to pet stores. And then we started selling to vets. And then we started selling to multifamily units and the car washes and convenience stores and gas stations where you go up and these machines are high tech. And they, uh, they're pretty large, they're about eight feet long. And you open up the door and you've got 30 languages to choose from. You've got 40 celebrity voices to tell you how to wash your dog. And you can put your dog in there and then you yourself will wash your dog and it'll walk you through all the prompts. It costs you $10 for 10 minutes. And we went from selling 13 machines the first year now we have over 600 of them in the United States, and this year we're having a banner year. So dog washing is a category that's exploded uh, because we've made dog washing fun, number one, and people realize that I don't have to have that mess at home anymore. I can take it out of the house and leave the mess behind. And every year we go to these trade shows and we see new innovations and new opportunities it's always fun to, to see it because it, again, creates more jobs. Yes, and we're going to have a lot more clean dogs in the United States and hopefully around the world because of those dog washing machines. And great tip right there, which you've mentioned a couple of times, Phil. People, opportunities, you might want to go to these trade shows. Phil, before we have people learn a little bit more about how they can reach you, find out even more about you, what are a few tips that you can give our listeners about choosing a pet, choosing a vet, or perhaps a pet food product from your vast years of experience? Again, I always tell people, talk to your friends, talk to a vet, talk to 
people who have had animals that you've admired and ask for advice. Uh, you know, we always take good advice from people we trust. You can ask about food. You can ask about their local vet. I like supporting local businesses, even though I pay a little bit more. I don't buy everything online. I like supporting local businesses because those local businesses support local charities as well. And so I think there'll always be a need there and that's something we should do uh, as a population to help other people. But I think advice from friends and neighbors and, and dog breeders and vets and go to your local pet store. If, if it's not a national chain, it's a regional chain, meet the owner, talk to the people behind the counter. You know, one thing you'll note, if you fly, if you drive and you mention you got a pet, everybody wants to talk to you about your pet and their pet. When I fly, people ask me what I do for a living. I tell them I'm in the pet industry. And then they ask me, did you say pet? Uh, yeah, E-T, and I, yes, pet. Well, can you make a living in the pet business? Yeah, <laughs> you can make a living in the pet business. And then the next thing I know, they're bringing out their wallet or their iPhone to show me a picture of their favorite pet. And so it's a topic that everybody wants to talk about. Everybody wants to brag about. And I, you know, back to... Getting advice from people you trust is the best place to go. That is good advice. And to add to what you said, Phil, it's amazing. I've seen this in my community, and I see it in another community that I've been going to a lot lately. The people who walk around with their dogs end up meeting other people and speaking with other people who walk around with their dogs. <laughs> well, dog parks are becoming very popular. Yes. Go down there and play dates. I mean, they, there's applications now on your phone that you can track your dog's health and the steps, and you can make play dates with other pet owners with similar dogs. And you can do all kinds of things now electronically that we can never do. And they're all thriving. I mean, I see the investment in the high-tech field off the charts this one uh, firm I know, you know, while I was trying to raise $10 million, they got $100 million in, in a fraction of the time because it was a high-tech invention. So it's a fast-growing market. And like you said, you see people all the time walking their pets and wanting to talk to other people walking their pets. Yes. I've always felt that somebody who doesn't have a pet, and there are many reasons why somebody wouldn't have a pet, I don't have one right now, but maybe somebody who's never had a pet. Maybe that's what I'm saying. There may be a reason for that, but I've always felt like they've really missed out on something if they've never had a pet. Well, they really do. And even in the age bracket that we're in, uh, what happens oftentimes when people get older, they don't want to have a pet because they don't want to be tied down. They can't travel. They don't want to leave the pet at home. And I understand all those reasons. But if you're not, if you're not traveling all the time, any kind of pet, even a small one, you know, a cat requires so much less maintenance than a dog does. And True. you can leave a cat for three or four days without uh, worrying about the house be torn apart or having to let them outside. And so a cat is a great alternative to dogs if you still want unconditional love. And then you can leave fish for a couple of weeks without feeding them. And I have an aquarium. I've been keeping fish for 55 years and I still have a big aquarium in my house. Uh, and so aquariums are great fun and educational and uh, don't, don't cause a whole lot of trouble and, and give you a lot of satisfaction. And small animals, birds, reptiles, you know, everybody keeps something 
everybody loves some kind of pet. I'll tell you a funny anecdote. Uh, many years ago, I mentioned I had a pet store and I, I sold a python and it was a 20 foot python that I sold to a young couple. And uh, when they wanted to buy the snake, I asked them, where are you going to keep it? And they said, well, we're going to build a cage. I said, well, you don't have a cage now? No. I said, we're going to keep this python. Yeah. You got to have it in the cage. So I actually lent them a large aquarium to keep the python in <laughs> while they were building their cage. And they came back a week and a half later and they said, well, here's your aquarium back. I said, great. Did you build the cage? No. Well, why? Because the python got out. I said, oh. well, where's the python now? Well, we don't know. <laughs> I, I said, well, I think he's probably in your house because they'll go up high. That was That's their nature. And then, so they said, okay, we'll go home and start looking. Well, didn't hear from him, didn't hear from him. One day I'm listening to the radio and I hear the radio announcer say, attention, Bay City residents, 20 foot python is still on the loose. <laughs> women wouldn't let their kids walk to school. And there were sightings 20 miles away and 40 miles away, and two miles away. And, and finally, I, I suggested that the couple, they came back in the store, I said, why don't you have a group come in your house that's, you know, like the Boy Scouts and have them search your house. And, and I bet you you'll find that snake in your house. And sure enough, they found the snake in a bag up in the closet, second shelf, and they can go for weeks and weeks without eating. So that's wow. not an issue. And they don't require as much moisture as we do on a daily basis. So would I keep a 20-foot python as a pet? Not me personally, <laughs> but everybody loves some kind of pet. So if that's your idea of a good time, have at it. And they can be good pets, but you have to be a responsible pet owner. Uh, you, if you're going to have a 20-foot snake, there's a lot of different things you got to do differently than having a dog or a cat. Yes. Great story. And it ought to be made into a movie. The Python Who Shut Down Bay City. <laughs> I've got a bunch of stories like that that I've been uh, asked to write about uh, because there's, I mean, when it comes to, I'll, I'll trade one more little story in Australia. I uh, went down there to build this business and uh, my customer every year would have Father Christmas come in at Christmas time to have your pet get a free photo with Father Christmas. So I went in and because and, I fit the suit, apparently, they asked me to fill in that one day. And maybe because I had a funny accent, I don't know. But they put me in a desk chair in a corner of the store. And I'm, it's 90 degrees and I'm wearing a, a Santa suit. Oh, geez. A full beard and everything else, sweating. And first couple comes in and there's four, mother, father, a daughter, and son. And in their hands, each of them have a little guinea pig. And they've made little antlers for the guinea pigs and they've made little costumes for the guinea pigs. And they wanted to have their picture with Father Christmas and the guinea pigs and they come in every year. And I'm thinking to myself, these people really need a life. If that's all <laughs> they could do is make costumes for the guinea pigs, but God bless them. We're grateful they're taking good care of their guinea pigs and their <laughs> idea of a, the pet they've always wanted to cherish and, and enjoy. And then the next owner was a Rottweiler and they, there were two of them, one on either side of me. And as we were getting ready to take the picture, the Rottweiler saw a cat. So they ran towards the cat and they pulled me on the desk chair with the Rottweilers down the aisle way of the store. So, you know, always something. There's a lot of stories when you have a pet. There's a lot of stories we all personally have. Uh, something that's funny that's happened, whether it's a reaction of your pet or, you know, whatever. 
I can't imagine a life without a pet. Yes. Phil, this is wonderful. I love the anecdotes. I love the information that you gave and the variety of topics that you've covered and you've covered so well. And I also love your enthusiasm and your optimism, which are qualities I like to have. And I see them in you. And I see a person who really, truly does have a passion and a love for what they do. And I think that explains why people can't see this, but you look terrific. How can our listeners find out more about you, about your consulting? You mentioned that you work with investors. I heard you say that. And anything else you want to share with them? Of course, you also mentioned about the dog washing. So how can people find out more about the stuff that you're doing? Sure. The easiest way is we have a website, uh, www.petindustryexpert.com. That's one of the best ways to reach me. You can also look up Philip M. Cooper on LinkedIn. That'll give you my bio and give you all the information about where we've been involved in the industry and has all the contact details. You can reach us that way. That's the easiest way and glad to help. I'll tell you that historically as a consultant, we charge an hourly fee for advice, but generally speaking, anybody that calls me, anybody new in the pet industry, we always take time, don't charge them, we encourage them. I'm the only guy that tells them what they need to hear and not what they want to hear. So, you know, if they've got a great idea, that's not a great idea, they're going to hear that from me and it should save their money. Uh, and so uh, that's kind of it. And I'm a, you got me a little nervous because now I'll be flooded with uh, a lot of folks like that. And that's not a problem. We can handle it, but that's the best way to reach me. Okay. If I were you, Phil, my biggest concern would be how many people are calling you because they need help in figuring out where their Python went. Well, that's true, but we've been there, done that. Phil, thanks a lot. This has been wonderful. Lots of great information, lots of opportunities, and your offer to help people is very generous of you. And I know, of course, you also have a business. Thanks again. Hey, Jeff, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Wish you the best of luck. And I encourage everybody out there, if you don't have a pet, get one. Your life will be better off. I agree. Amen. Amen. This concludes part two of our two-part series on the pet industry. If you missed part one of this series with our guest expert, Phil Cooper, you can find it at my website, www.jeff-ostroff.com, or on your favorite podcast hosting site. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward. <laughs>